Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Confer Culture, brought to you by Timotheries, the podcast where we talk about the topics that many of us are passionate about. I'm your host, Chris Murphy, and this week I'm joined by Don Bartlett. Yeah, so in this episode, we'll be discussing film score now. Don is a is a bit of a special guest this week because um, I met him through doing work with some video work with him, and uh, he is very passionate about music and he's a musician. So I thought he would be a really good guest to come on and talk about film score. <laughs> um, do you have anything else other than that to add, Don? Well. It's good to have me on the show here. I'm glad to talk with you again. Uh, it's been a while. Last time, what was it? What year was it? It was like 2018 or 19. I think it must have been maybe even earlier. Tw- 2018, I think, last time we were in person doing the videos with Tim. And I remember sitting in on... This was right when I think Infinity War had come out. It was around. Oh, it was, uh, yeah, it was Infinity War. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that was 2018. 2018. That's right. And yeah, I'm a musician by trade. <laughs> I teach and play music and record and try to f- and embrace the idea that the modern day player sort of has to be the jack of all trades. It, it, it's not like it used to be where musicians, you know, have to rely on the record label to do all their promotion now (laughs) you have to do it all yourself or you can do it all yourself you can you can get the technology to record yourself and mix your and produce your own music and you know edit your own music videos and have your own website sort of be your your own management team and i've sort of taken to doing that and been trying to develop in that regard as well as trying to be the best artist and best player I can. That's really step zero is actually being a good musician. The whole yeah. other thing is being able to brand yourself and promote yourself and step up in, in that side of the game, which is a huge challenge. It's a whole slew of terms and, and language and entrepreneurial skills to navigate. But yeah, I'm sort of growing in that area as well as being a musician. Great. And that's awesome. And so, like I said, I, I really wanted to have you on and talk about a uh, um, couple of different music topics. This will be one of them. And then uh, there's another one upcoming at some point in the future. We talk about uh, the power of music and, and you know, so uh, you guys out there can uh, look forward to that one. So just kind of to just dive right in. Um, when I talk about film score, um, kind of what I'm so for people i guess for people who don't know it's just although i i I don't know who wouldn't know but just in case you don't um it's the music that accompanies a film so usually it's instrumental but sometimes it can be uh, songs if they're trying to convey an era in an era like the 80s like think uh, some pop songs some 80s pop songs during if you're watching stranger things or something like that where they're trying Mm -hmm. to convey what time period they're in but uh, typically an actual song like that goes on to uh, um, a soundtrack, which is a little bit different, but sort of on the same line. But so a film score can make a huge, huge difference uh, in, in any film. And there are some good and some bad. And what it really, what it's really good at is conveying the emotion or, or the tenseness of a scene. And, and, I just want to mention real quickly, uh, I, I wa- I've watched 
a television show on Netflix uh, called Brainchild, and they really did a really good uh, job of highlighting uh, how score can affect you emotionally. They do this, they do this thing where they have the same scene and they use happy music, sort of romantic music, and you think it's sort of a romantic movie. Uh, and then they sort of recut it with, uh, and they change some lighting around and the, the characters say the same lines, but because the, the, the score is more tense and creepy, it comes across as more of a thriller. So I think, I think, um, it's really, really important in conveying emotion in film. So. Yeah, absolutely. The film score is really the, it's the unsung well, I guess that's a little ironic to use that language, but it's, <laughs> it's the sung hero of sort of the reason why you might feel a little tear rolling down your cheek at a certain moment in a, in a film, or it, it, it really puts the emotional glue into the scene. And I don't think it's the visuals alone that can convey such emotion. I'm thinking about the use of certain instruments i'm thinking like a piano just one one piano to go back to the avengers idea it was so powerful in infinity war to use that as a an anecdote that you were going to talk about a little bit about how there was a recurring theme that and a motif in the music of the avengers you know the avengers theme that pops up throughout mm-hmm. the movies and i was so glad to see that happen in a modern day you know, sort of super blockbuster, huge cast f- film where the music was being serviced like this and there was these recurring ideas. And especially in, in this one, Infinity War was such a tragic story, so much suffering and so much sacrifice. And mm-hmm. it's was a really courageous movie to make. I guess it's part one, but because it's part one of two, they they really can just let the heroes fail. And and that's why I think it is my favorite MCU movie because it's just so rare. Normally you have to have some sort of resolution come, some sort of catharsis come, but it's rare that you see a movie where the ending is just as awful as things could possibly get. And yeah. really the the despair and the the isolation and the the loneliness that comes with the result of that climax is nicely paid off with the theme of the Avengers played on that title card as the credits are rolling, just the solo piano with the text evaporating into the dust. I thought that was so, so powerful. And Alan Silvestri, I believe is the, the man behind that score. I am much I much relate a lot more to what his work was with Infinity War than the music from Endgame. I can remember a few of the themes, but in Infinity War, I just, it was so much more emotional. I I can picture that, that solo cello moment where uh, Thanos comes, he steps out onto the, the deck and he sees the, he's on the farm sort of area. And uh, I remember that being a really touching moment. Just the the sparseness, you know, the the decisions and the choices to know when it's time to use only one instrument and feature a minimalistic score versus you know the bombast of 
these huge, yeah, you know, something like you might see from John Williams, which of course is great, mm-hmm. but it's just a different thing mm-hmm. and it services a different type of film. Yeah, I noticed that too. And, and I would say I would, it's funny, I did a podcast not too long ago where I had sort of a hot take that I think Infinity War was better than Endgame. Oh, of course. Of, <laughs> you're, ta- you're preaching yeah. to the choir here, man. <laughs> I yeah, for a number of agree. different reasons. Yeah. Um, like there's a lot of, like I, I really enjoyed Endgame, but it's one of those things there's enough for me to nitpick at where I just enjoyed Infinity War a little bit better. I felt mm-hmm. that like the decisions were more... Um, like they have more impact as a post end game. Cause you know, in end game, you know where it's going. Mm-hmm. Like you ultimately know where it's going. Like even if the, at the very, very end, it's a little bit like the, like the character, the main character who dies is not the one I expected, but other than mm-hmm. that, like you, you know where it's going. Right. For and, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I also agree. I felt like kind of the, the score on that one is a bit more of an afterthought outside mm-hmm. of the, the theme, like the main Avengers theme. Mm-hmm. Whereas Infinity War, like you said, like it's a lot more subtle and and there's purpose behind that, like right at the end credits where that oh, just, yeah. that solo piece of piano plays, right? Yeah. To so I hear that. Well, from what you've told me and from what Tim has said, you're you're quite the the fan of another sort of space epic. To to segue into a little bit of Battlestar Galactica here. You're the you're the man I hear on this topic, on this on this show. <laughs> well, I uh, I watched it uh, back in the day and absolutely loved it. It's uh, it did not stick the landing, in my opinion, in terms of the finale. But mm. um, I will most likely revisit that in another time in a different uh, podcast. But uh, I have it on a portable drive that I've downloaded to um, uh, to watch it all through again so to see if it was actually as good as i remember it being but uh, i'm i i think it will be and the score in Battlestar galactica is just he it's like it's pretty amazing uh for those uh people who don't know it was done by beer mccrary i i doubt that it, that's his actual name bear <laughs> <laughs> but um He's done a whole bunch of stuff like The Walking Dead and uh, he's most famous for that. He also did the theme for, uh, was it Black Flag maybe? It was like a pirate show in the um, okay. late 2000s on Stars, I think. He's done a bunch of different themes for different shows and um, the just the combination. So the thing about Battlestar Galactica is that it's a whole bunch of different, much like, you know, a lot of countries it's a mishmash of different cultures and and perspectives of people so what he does is he at least this is what i picked up on anyway he he tends to borrow from a lot of different uh uh, cultural um traditional music and inserts that into score you got a little bit of gaelic you got you can hear some taiko drums uh there's um the big thing going throughout was every time something important happened, it was all along the watchtower, you know? Yeah. I was going to ask you about that, that there was some really legendary arrangement of that song in the score. And I thought what a strange thing to have the Hendrix reference in there. I thought that was, mm-hmm. I was taken aback by that. I, I didn't get a chance to, to listen to it or I think I did listen to it actually, but 
it doesn't go into the th- you wouldn't know that it's all along the watchtower right away is it, is it kind of like buried into the second half of the piece or does it happen right away so uh it's he does it he essentially all along the watchtower gets played in a number of different formats there's a just plain piano version of it okay uh, there's one, and this is the other sort of instruments. Um, I don't know what sort of Middle Eastern kind of instrument uh, he uses, but you know that kind of almost twangy sounding um, mandolin kind of deal. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is it like a string instrument, or the, or is it like a, yeah, a wind a, instrument? Okay, it's a string instrument. Um, as a part of that of the all along the wash area, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I did. So he did go ahead sorry he did he did do that so like he used a bunch of different instruments to play it and then um in the uh, mid-season finale of season four uh where they're where they revealed the final five cylons he um and and i don't want to give a spoiler i mean the show is <laughs> it's been off the air for a decade now uh so i don't think it's spoiling where kara comes back and starbuck and they play it's like again it's um it is a guitar sounding thing but it's like a different it's almost like a hard rock almost metal version of it Mm. not quite metal because he doesn't scream but like it's very um guttural and it's very like oh cool yeah like i have it on my phone and it's it's i know it's blasphemy but it's by far my favorite version of the song Oh well, and, yeah. Of uh, course, when you have it attached to the the joy of the series, yeah, it's it's a little bit different attachment. Yeah, um, I, I'm not. Yeah, even so he plays it all throughout and yeah. with a bunch of different instruments and in key moments. And it, the first time I heard it I, on the show, I was actually, "What is that song?" Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that, as the series progressed, it's like, "Oh, that's what it is." And so, yeah, yeah the 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 main theme uses that you know that wind instrument that it's a it's a armenian instrument actually this it's oh, called yeah. the, the duduk uh, d-u-d-u-k and i think i've heard of it yeah. I, I i'd really like to get my hands on one of those I've, i don't really play wind instruments or double reed instruments no less but uh it's these got this instrument here is is pretty special it has it's such it has such a character you know in its sound there's it's and to hear it accompanied by the sort of cinematic uh, orchestra and the and the the vastness of what he's got going on with the other mm-hmm. arrangements in the score it's definitely it definitely leaves a, a really strong impression i think that <laughs> i might date myself as a young in here i i, I am a, a a millennial personality here but it reminds me of the show Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> the the opening to that um, that show has has that same Duduk instrument. Okay, of I'll, course, of course. I'll have to take your word for it. I have to take your yeah. I have to take your word for it because I'm I'm old and I don't. I've never seen an episode of Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, it's good. Honestly, the the opening though, you'll you would find mm-hmm. a lot of similarities uh, with. It does really? use that same that same instrument. I just mean purely by the music. I'm I'm. I don't know enough about either plot <laughs> to, to to compare, uh, but <laughs> nice. just from the the openings, and from some of the research I was doing about Ballastar, I was looking into 
the fact that Bear was asked to come back and do Blood and Chrome, which was a movie, or what was that one? Was it a spinoff? Yeah, uh, yeah. So like, uh, Blood and Chrome was a. Uh, it was a prequel directed um, home video um, movie that happens right before the show. Okay. And sets it, so it sets up like th- there was the other, uh, there was the other one, uh, around Caprica like decades before, mm-hmm. but this one was the, I think it was directly, directly before the events of the show, like months, I believe. It's been a while since I've seen it. I, I got it kicking around here, but um, the, yeah, th- that one. It's one of those things I got to go back and rewatch. But yeah, it, as far as I know, that's for the, to the best of my memory, because uh, I have seen it and it was really good. It's just uh, yeah. So there was this huge change in direction for the the score for that one. He, he went from it being more orchestral to straight up mm-hmm. uh, like rock and, and metal influence. Like he he got this session guitarist Mike Keneally in there and really featured his heavily distorted guitar playing uh, over over the soundtrack of this and 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 some of the other instruments it was more based around synthesis and and synthesizers where mm-hmm. the other ones and the main series show was about you know the the vast acoustic spaces, you know, the orchestra and not uh, electronically produced sounds. And this one, he featured um, percussionists, some synthesizer artists, and then the electric guitarist. And it definitely also had a, a world music flavor as well as an interesting choice in instrumentation was he got this dude, Steve Bartek to come in and play electric sitar, which I actually tried. I I didn't try it. I just was jangling on it. I was at a music store and I saw one of those electric sitars. I didn't even know that they were just hanging around in, in music stores. I hear the term sitar and I'm thinking this Indian, you know, this, if you've ever seen a picture of a sitar, they're the furthest thing from, friendly looking they're very intimidating and they are almost like it's like a crude thing to say it would be compared to a guitar but it is a string instrument and they're really kind of jangly and and have have a lot of bounce to the sound it's it's totally another one of those instruments that really embodies the character or the flavor of a certain of certain culture of music and Mm -hmm. have that encapsulated on an electric instrument that is tuned like a guitar it's is pretty cool i am tempted to go and and plug one of those things in but <laughs> i feel like what do, you play, what do you play on one of those things i don't know you you can't you can't just go and start oh, playing blues. exactly you can't you can't just go <laughs> play blues licks on the on the uh, electric sitar you gotta sitar, ha- have yeah. some kind of knowledge of <laughs> well at least i would feel i would i would feel a little bit uh, sacrilegious you know picking up an instrument that's called a sitar and then you know, playing my guitar repertoire. It would have to be something a little bit more applicable for the genre. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that, uh, really showcases like beer McCreary's, uh, versatility. Like oh, he's yeah. done. So he's done so many scores for like, I, I mentioned three, but he's done tons and tons. He's mm-hmm. been working for years 
and uh he does something different every time like he's he's one of those i think he's one of those like he's just really really good at his job yeah and i don't think he probably gets a lot of uh wide like um widespread credit for it but like in the main in mainstream anyway oftentimes those those composers right they're not unless you're john williams or somebody or hans Mm -hmm. zimmer or somebody like that you usually don't get a and if you do tv especially uh yeah more more don't really get a lot of widespread acclaim so yeah so i think he's really really just excellent at what he does yeah, and what are, what are the other scores you were you were thinking about? You were you were talking a little bit about. We talked about Avengers. You mentioned the mm-hmm. Brainchild, and then yep, you we just touched on Battlestar a little bit. But what was some of the other ones you were thinking of that you felt strongly about? So, uh, actually, f- funny thing, um, I was going to say like sometimes you can have a good score on a bad film. Like Temple of Doom is widely considered the worst, if not one of the worst Indiana Jones films. Mm-hmm. But that score is the best. Like I, I, overall in between all the films, I yeah. think it's actually the best score of all of them. Like it, it's epic. It's John Williams, epic and right? Grandiose. Is it yep. still John Williams? Okay. It's still John Williams. That's epic and grandiose. And I think he borrowed a little bit from it when he did Revenge of the Sith. Okay. When uh, Anakin's coming up to the temple, it sounds a lot like when, um, Harrison Ford is riding on an elephant in uh, Temple of Doom. So, but yeah, it's very, and it conveys like that sort of, you know, the uh, location and, you know, where that in India and stuff like that. And it's actually one of the better, the film itself is like terrible. (laughs) But it's uh, been a while since I've seen it. I I remember, I don't remember having super harsh criticism of it. I don't remember even standing those the three that I I saw the original three and they all sort of I was probably too young when I saw them to really be critical about the quality of them as films sure but I I do they all sort of had their their ups and downs I remember the but I, I the second one it was definitely crazy I I love short round and <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of there's a lot of hokiness, I guess, to all of them, but I guess that's kind of the the, the genre, sort of the yeah, because it's like uh, um, adventure serials from the 30s. Basically, that's right. Is, yeah, is the concept to to all the movies. The thing about so the the woman actress that they had to mm-hmm. he had to play off, I think it was Spielberg's wife at the time, and she just she couldn't act a lick, and um, the plot is all over the place, and it's, I mean. At the time, it was probably culturally fine, but if you look back on it now, it's pretty racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of problems with it. It's it's pr- like if you basically people, I, th- I think a lot of people own it uh, if they have like if they buy the set. That's really the only reason why you ever probably own it and they probably never watch it. <laughs> yeah, I bought it. I saw that there was a set on VHS in a goodwill or nice. something and i i just picked yeah. that thing up it was like i think tw- two bucks or something it, w- it was not even five five dollars and i just saw that it was all i just like i appreciate having the, the culture of the vhs you know yes even just especially if it's that cheap you, you know why wouldn't you get it it was there, there was a little case that it came in and all mm-hmm. of them are in there it has some nice 
nice design. It was in good condition too. So I said, I'm, I'm picking this up. I haven't watched any of them, any of them from that VHS, but I have it. I have it in my room here on, on display. Yeah. The thing about VHS is, is it, uh, ten, if, yeah, if you store it in a bad, like in a, a not great environment or you watch it too many times, it wears out. Like, uh, I had my mom in 1997, after the uh, Star Wars trilogy had been re-released, oh, the yeah. special editions, she bought me a VHS box set, and I wore out like Return of the Jedi. <laughs> no, nice, nice, like, just it, again and again. I watched it. Yeah, I watched it so many times. There were there were tracking issues like all over the place. So that I mean, that's, that's nice. the problem. With VHS. I mean, all media can deteriorate over time, but VHS in particular was um, subject to that. So uh, yeah, there, there's a there's a ton of like really good examples of of score bringing out like really like tension or really big moments or or sadness or whatever um one of the ones that i really that uh that we discussed a little bit in preparation for this and i've you know gone on about in great detail to whoever will listen which is not a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) uh 127 hours so um if anybody out there hasn't seen it, it's based on the uh, based on a true story. And James Franco plays this character who he goes on a hike, and he basically doesn't really tell anybody he's where he's going because he's been on on hikes hundreds of times. He ends up getting stuck. He falls and he his arm gets stuck in between like these two rocks, and he can't get it out. So he's there for a few days. He's got to survive, etc. How he ends up getting loose is he he cuts his his own arm off, and he's got to do it with a dull blade because the the pocket knife that he took with him wasn't very high quality and so as he's cutting through his his arm and and through the muscle tissue but it the music sort of heightens up but the biggest thing is when he gets to the nerve and like i don't know whose idea this was but it was really it's it really really it was it's a great use of score so what it does is it has the screech of a violin as he's cutting into the nerve every time it's like like and so you can it goes through your um you know you you pick that up out in, in an auditory way mm-hmm. and then it goes down your spine and then you feel his pain as he's cutting through his nerve because yeah. that's got to be the worst it's just got to be like your your whole body's on fire so whosoever idea that was it was brilliant i think the upon review of that i i went back and and looked at that just that rather pleasant moment and (laughs) there's i heard the the violin but it's also got this this effect on it it's this kind of digital kind of spattering uh like scratching it's like over compressed or something like there's like it's Mm. like really kind of like uh, the ways to describe it it's it's almost like this the, the, it's like this juxtaposition of the acoustic sound of the, of the violin but it's also very processed and very it's like this this really plucking uh, shattering sort of sound that yeah. is dig, is digitally created so yeah it was definitely a, a really cool artistic vision in, in that moment they knew that they had to, to step it up to to convey that moment and yeah with the, with the, the dull knife it, it was i watched some footage of him talking about it after the real guy aaron ralstein i think his name is ralston 
Um, yeah, what, I what, a, right, what yeah. a what a hero that guy is! My God, <laughs> watching that is some powerful stuff. It's, you can, like watching the movie, of course, is is one thing, but I was watching some interviews with him and he goes back to the spot where he got trapped and basically does a whole walkthrough of what it was like and what the actual amputation was like and the breaking of his arm, right? Like it, it wasn't just, it wasn't just that he had to saw through it. He he had to like twist it it and break the bone, right? Cause if he saw Mm -hmm. through it and then the bone was still connected and like, there's no way you're getting through the bone. So it's just awful. But he, he talks about, how the, the feeling of he needed to escape and oh the, yeah with the knife he was he was chipping away at the rock for so long that was the the good part of the knife was dulled because, oh yeah because right. he was chipping and chipping and chipping and chipping and then all he had left was the tiny knife the really small knife at the end to to work with when he had to actually amputate because he was trying to to cut that the the pieces of the rock away but what mm-hmm. a story of you know, human survival and human willpower to, to get out of that thing, you know, like what, where would you, I, I can't even, I don't think my mind will ever be at that point, you know, where it's like, you have to go through something like that. That's just the most, you know, the most courageous and strong thing that any human could do, you know, go through that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and not everybody would do that for sure. Like no. a lot of the people would just be, be stuck there and end up like dying. Yeah. But and, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I saw I I saw a video on YouTube where they talk about some of this stuff too, and and they actually used 127 hours, mm. and and they took that music out of the scene where he cuts it off, and it's not near as impactful. They're mm. like, okay, listen to it with uh with the original score. It's like, yeah, pretty terrible, right? Listen to it without the score, and it's not near as impactful. So I can't remember. It might have been film joy or entertain the elk or something like that where they went through or maybe it was uh one of the screen junkies video i can't remember it was one of those channels where they talk about okay that kind of thing and it was it was I, it was really really cool and yeah i i that to me like that's just one of the better examples i think yeah the it's cool to to talk about how you, you took you take some scenes and you take the score away and then suddenly it's almost funny or the intention is completely different. You know, even the music, it has this, this umbrella of emotional context that sits over top of these scenes and even more so than the visual side of things that I think a lot of people identify themselves as being very visual people, very visual at learning and visual at having things explained to them or, what they take from a situation and yet mm-hmm. the the score is so subconscious it's it's there and in the background a lot of, a lot of times unless you are a musician or you are someone that goes to movies for the score which i think is not many people but no it's 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 those moments that when you tune into the score it, it's like you realize that that's the thing that's really making you super emotional on top of, of course, the, the context. It, it's like, it, it takes a lot of, of effort to make the, the context of the, the visuals be mo- emotionally moving. But 
I find that it's just the the slightest subtle touches of, of the score can can be so powerful. You know, like the, the little bits of piano here and there. Um, mm-hmm. But what I was going to mention was the sometimes I think taking the score out and making the the artistic choice to be silent music wise in, in over a scene can be really powerful as well. And, and I call I back to uh, the dark Knight rises where I believe the confrontation with Bane in the sewer, the first time that Batman and Bane have their, their showdown. It, it's a bit of a, a, a brutalizing on Batman's behalf. He, he, it's not a triumphant moment for him at all. He actually gets his ass kicked, but in that scene, you know, you might be expecting some, some big, you know, bold choice to have strings and, and horns and, and, and big, big stabs. Traditionally, what you see in a, in a comic book style adaptation, but no, no, Christopher Nolan style and Hans Zimmer style is in this scene that they, they chose to have no score. And it's just this, the crushing sound of the, sewer and the the waterfalls in, in, in the underground and in that that moment I, I always remember that I always think about that how right there the best choice was to just do nothing you know to have yeah. to have yeah. no score there and I, I don't think it, it they could have had something else they could have had some kind of low ominous drone or something but it it's brutal because you know Batman's the hero. He's your hero. He's you're watching the movie, and then it's just you watching horror. You you have you're powerless. You're it makes you feel like you're there. I think if when when the score gets taken out, sometimes it can make it feel really realistic because you're just mm-hmm. you're just there, especially watching. Especially if there's if there's camera techniques where there's a little bit of camera shake or the shot isn't moving a whole lot, which right. I mean, in that scene, I think there was there were some long long shots. Without yeah, I seem to remember that too. But yeah, yeah and uh, just like in 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 the visual piece of filmmaking, sometimes restraint is the best choice to make, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, I was gonna I was gonna at some point uh, say that horror is a really good example, and this is a good segue of a genre that that makes the great use of score but uh it's a good segue because uh have you seen a quiet place oh yeah yeah of course yeah i haven't and that, that movie, movie is can, can, can you remember really that much if it i don't i i think it has some but there's moments of just nothing but silence music included mm-hmm. for that matter yeah and sometimes i, I recall this, yeah yeah yeah, and I've seen this on TV shows too, where sometimes they'll just let it. So they take everything out of it and they just let it sit. And and sometimes that's way more effective than going like, like the violin cuts in or a big horn or mm-hmm. like you said, right? Something. It's it's one of those show don't tell in in filmmaking, which the scorer helps with a lot. But then sometimes it's just let's just settle on this moment. Uh, this picture right now and then just take everything out of it and then you're just kind of left there to soak it in yeah totally man that movie i mean it's right in the title the quiet place that i wonder whoever did the score for that imagine having that as your job <laughs> you i would be i might just say well gabriel phone it in 
um, give me the opening opening music for the opening titles and then the credits, everything else. Call it a day. Let's, let's just make it quiet. <laughs> like it would be yeah. that would be tricky. That would, you might think that would be an, a job that you would like to get where you, you can you do with a more auditorily minimal score, but I think that would be really challenging to pick and pull when it should be quiet and when there could be some action or even when you can blur the two when there's, because a lot of times you'll find it in scores, especially horror movies as a genre, like you said, there'll be like really deep uh, sine waves or, or super low pitch notes that your ears mm-hmm. can't even really tell that they're hearing, but they are there. And it, it gives you that feeling of unsettled and uh, you're unsettled. And there's this looming, you know, ominous vibe where it's so low. There's like a rumbling almost, but you don't know it's there. Like, I think paranormal activity does, does that. Do you see that movie? Yeah, the the yeah. first one, I especially, I yeah. thought that was such an, a great, that is, I think it stands uh, amongst you know all the best found footage <laughs> films which i guess aren't too many when you talk about actually no, good, not too many. actually good ones um I, it's a shame that it became a franchise and they really milked it for everything that it was worth i, yeah. I don't think there was too much quality to be found in that series past the third one um some may even say past the first one um but the first one i really really liked and i thought it was it was this cultural you know phenomenon everyone everyone said oh you have to see it you know you have to go see it in theaters and horror movies are i find they they get slept on they're not as they're they're not as popular when it comes to you know big cinema events they're kind of like niche or oh you have to be like a certain type of freak to go and enjoy that kind of thing in, in in a theater yeah, like me, because I'm <laughs> horror is like one of my favorite oh, all-time, nice, all-time favorite genres. Nice. Like um so yeah, I'm looking at a couple of posters on my wall actually. Like the Dawn of the Dead soundtrack, the score for that is pretty oh, yeah. iconic. In fact, um the end credits of Robot Chicken, they do the mall song from Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. For example, uh, I'm looking at Army of Darkness, which Oh yeah, of um, course. Classic. I love the that score one. was done by uh he did the Simpsons theme. Oh, um, oh I... it's uh, it's escaping me right now. Uh, Alan Silvestri, maybe. Oh, yeah, that, that could yeah. be it. Yeah, I think that's who it was. But yeah, so he did it. actually uh, does a lot of and, and did a lot of music for the Simpsons. So those are pretty iconic. And then, of course, like people don't. And then basically the the movie that started the slasher genre, Psycho, where you mm. don't like instantly when you put up your hand and go, re, 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 re yeah. everybody knows what you're talking yeah. about because oh, it's, it's just iconic, it's so yeah. iconic. And that the violin goes right along with with the, the scene as he's repeatedly stabbing the woman. Right. Yeah, that one's great. And uh, of course, Friday the 13th just kind of ripped that ripped that off. Their score did. <laughs> that, but like, Friday the yeah, 13th. I mean the um yeah isn't that their their thing (laughs) that was that's that's an interesting thing too like that sound effect Uh, i was more talking about just like the general music of it like they do use a lot they go hard in on the violins lots right when jason's like running around killing people but uh and i mean the uh iconic uh, michael myers like halloween theme 
like that just piano john piece? carpenter like, yeah he 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 yeah. he wrote that shit man he he actually composed he? that theme yeah the director of, See, of I, that I movie like I know it. that that i think is so great and and that's not a you know a, a harmonically simple song the the main theme is is spooky enough just the piano but the mm-hmm. chords that move underneath that are, are quite sophisticated. The language isn't something that you would just happen across or stuff like, and it, it, when you think about, what was that? 79 or 69? Uh, uh, first one was 77. 77. So it's like, this is all before any semblance of, you know, audio, digital audio, you know, softwares or workstations where you can very much, like have the system play you something you know you can kind of program things you have to be using your 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 ears and your wits to write stuff and mm-hmm. it's you record it on tape you know it's really there's a something a lot of respect i have for all those artists you know pre pre then pre 90s where everything's being done on tape all all these things are being recorded um on reel to reels and, and these kind of things where oh yeah god where you can't just go and click and drag a mouse and then, Oh, I'll try the take again. Like you have to do it well. And you, you would not, if you had a take that was really, really good, but then one tiny thing went wrong, you would probably just use that take because you didn't dare throw away all that other good stuff that you had about it, you know, all the other good moments. And so just to talk about John Carpenter and that theme, like I don't think he was a musician and yet this song, you know, is it's it stood the test of time. That's another super iconic one. You would just hear that on yep. TV commercials, and, the, and you just know what it was. And everyone knows, yeah. The and yeah. I really find that super charming. Is it's like the horror genre has all these themes, like the the mm-hmm. Exorcist, uh, those the tubular bells, which funnily enough right. sounds a lot like the Halloween theme. It um, does a lot, but I think it is it is a little bit different, and then. You know, there's, there's the, the, I just, when I think about Friday the 13th, I don't think about a theme. I just think about that sound effect. <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's right. And, which and, is, which is really, again, whoever thought of doing that, it's just, it's one of those small touches. That's yeah. just, you're like, Oh, you're, you hear that and you're like, Oh, shit's going to go down. Yeah. <laughs> like right now. Yeah. There's, there's but, stuff yeah. like that in, in, in Halloween too, there's a lot of like those stingers, those m- moments where you see Michael My- Myers in the background and you hear like this, like this, this, this moment of, mm-hmm. you know, this chilling moment of, and it's corny, but it's also classic. I, I almost and think it's, that it's just appropriate. It's like just the amount, there's a golden zone of where it's just cheesy enough that you just actually respect it, just it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, there's a reason why the, you keep going back to it because it just it's effective. It just works mm-hmm. like horror is quiet, 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 and then boom. Yeah, because it's just like, it's like, and and it's 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 gone, especially in slasher films too. It goes quiet, quiet, ramps up a little bit. Oh, it's nothing. Quiet, quiet, ramps up a little bit. Quiet, quiet, and then boom. So it's just it sort of lulls you in that false sense mm-hmm. of security, and then the moment happens and somebody dies. That's great. <laughs> yeah. The slasher craze, that was all the eighties, right? And that was, yeah, that was yeah, big time. In that the 80s. was so like... many slashers, so many bad slasher films. <laughs> too in the 80s. I've seen a lot of them. 
well there were sequels yeah. on sequels isn't the friday the 13th doesn't it have like upwards of 15 installments it's like same with it's, uh, nightmare on elm street nightmare on elm street has uh let's see uh if you count freddy versus jason and the reboot mm-hmm. um eight Okay, and if you and uh, Jason uh, Friday Thirteenth, if you count Freddy versus Jason and the reboot, twelve. Yeah, yeah there's like Jason X and where he's in, Jason go- X is is Jason X. A lot of people hate on it, but it's done done tongue in cheek on purpose. Yeah, and it's like it's so bad it's good that's one of my it's so bad it's good films because uh like they bring him up onto the ship and basically essentially the second that um uh two teenagers start to have sex like i swear it's the center it's the second he penetrates her jason just sits up and i'm like okay they know so you know what kind of ride you're in for But yeah, so and they did like the whole holodeck hologram thing with uh, Crystal Lake 1980 thing, and yeah, it's it's very it knows what it's is, what what it what it is, and you know, just it's to me like it's one of the more underrated Friday Thirteen films. Yeah, I feel like they got they got that way with the the Freddy ones too. The, the it was they stopped taking themselves seriously after what like the second yeah. one or, or the third one <laughs> where it was just they knew it was they just cashed in on, on the hokiness. Um, and it, it was fun. You know, the movies, they didn't take themselves too seriously. It was, it was yeah. about the, uh, the until a uh, new nightmare, which to me is like one of the best ones. Like oh, yeah. no, new nightmare was uh scream before Wes Craven did scream. Right. Like it's right, super okay. meta. Yeah. It's super meta. And uh, he, um, he, it didn't take because people, that's not what people wanted uh, out of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street at that point. People wanted the one-liners and everything like that. They wanted yeah. the cheese. And he wanted to make it scary again because he hadn't written one since part two, I don't mm-hmm. think. So, uh, yeah, to me, like that one's also super underrated and actually pretty chilling. I don't I don't really think, body count's not that high in that one. Maybe like a couple, like two, three people, maybe. Okay. But it's like, it's far more terrifying than some of the, uh, far more scary than some of the other ones. But anyway, yeah, I mean, like horror, I think because I and like I said, I use this one because I'm such a big fan of it, mm-hmm. and there are so many good horror scores that, um, and it just it knows it, it it knows how to use score to rev up the tension, lull you into a false sense of security, and just deliver. And the scenes of people like getting stabbed or dying or running away from something are far more impactful because of it. So, yeah, that's. A more, a more, yeah, con- so I would say a more, con- a little bit more contemporary example of, um, I think a really creative horror thriller score was, um, David Robert Mitchell's It Follows. You see that movie in 2015? Yep. What yes, did you think that of that score movie? Is amazing. What did you think of that movie? It's good. That, that movie's great. Yeah, man, I love it. I, I deeply love that movie. Uh, in, in fact, I was going to say, I was a question I was going to ask you was, has there been any, movies that you watch where you feel like the score is better than the actual film other than temple of doom (laughs) you already (laughs) said that one so (laughs) you can't reuse that one um like you go back to watch it and you get hype about the idea of this theme that creeps in or this you know this setting that 
is over this a bunch of shots that take you from here to here like i think about the shining and if you think about the the score in, in the very beginning of that movie where it's just terrifying and nothing is even happening it's just shots of mm-hmm. the of the countryside outside of the the mansion the cab the yeah the mansion where they go to yeah and it's just yep. so ominous the this the driving and that there uh, my god the shining is a whole other can of worms to open but ta- ta- <laughs> yes it is ta- talking about it, it follows i think it's just the composer there um is this dude he goes by the handle disaster piece and he was a, a video game music composer for like indie oh, games, interesting. Like, like chip tune in indie games where um, he didn't even have a background in film. Literally the, the director reached out to him personally and said, Hey, I, I played this game that you scored. I, I like how ambient the music is. And uh, can you score this film? And it was like this horror film that with a $2 million budget, you know, it was, it was, I would imagine that would be a pretty thrilling call to get. And I remember the first time I saw it follows, I was just sitting in the theater. They just let that score sizzle so much uh, in yep. from scene to scene. There's so many moments of silence or just again, like sh- shots of the streets or shots of the teenagers, like in the pool. And I'm just sitting there listening to this and the score is, is just as much of a feast as all these visuals are. And mm-hmm. th- w- a kind of a fun game that I will challenge you to, uh, if you'd like to listen to scores um, on the go, you know, if you're ever walking around or driving about is to listen to the, it follows soundtrack, just let, let it play and just go for mm-hmm. a walk out in public. <laughs> Cause if and you like pretend that you're in the movie, I, I've actually done that. Oh if, yeah. Right. If, if you go to the, cause it was this invisible force following them and that nobody yeah. else could see, but them. Yeah. So yeah. if anyone wa- starts like, you just pretend like the thing is after you, you know, whatever it, whatever it is, it's coming. And yeah. anyone that turns towards you, it's like, the music is so, so jarring and so uncomfortable to some of them, at mm-hmm. least some of them are really beautiful and really sweeping and really ambient. But then there's some yep. that are just, it feels like you're about to die, which it's fitting. Yeah. Um, you know, most of the time it's, it's like, it's a sequel or a remake where they borrow from the original or, mm-hmm. Anyone, the prequels, like Star Wars prequels, her the score is really oh, good. Oh, that's a good choice. That yeah. great, you know, um, or like some of the Superman sequels later on, scores fine. Or and of course, it has that iconic uh, John Williams theme to it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the as obviously as you go on, you know, diminishing returns and all with with sequels. And uh, yeah, there, it's usually stuff like that. Um, Probably like there's uh, a Disney movie called Black Hole. It's not actually a lot of people really like it. It's it's one of those films that if you like, you could easily get bored by it. I found like it's okay. not bad. It's but it's almost like an iconic thing. Score for that's pretty good. And um, what was the other one I was going to? Oh yeah, another Disney film, uh, Flight of the Navigator, which is mm, okay. Um, it's it's okay like the the film itself it's okay it's like it it came out like in the uh in in the big 
sort of in in the thralls of like the uh et craze right. of the mid 80s and um the score for that i remember being pretty good too the film itself it's it's okay like it's all right there's worst thing you, things that you could do with an afternoon but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not it, yeah. great but yeah i mean yeah would you would you say uh, that you... speaking so sorry go ahead oh i was gonna say would you say that there's a, a score that you have an easy time saying it's your favorite of all time you know just one that you would default to you know that's like yeah that's that's the one that personally that one is my favorite um there's a couple that i really enjoy um for a few reasons the score for inception is really good oh i have that on my phone i I listen to it a lot zimmer uh yeah zimmer is really essentially so like you talk about like horns everywhere good lord Mm -hmm. but uh and a lot of people copied that kind of style for a while and put it in every movie trailer after that um the let's see what else do i have on my oh uh here's here's a here's a really really good one predator Oh, the score did. for that is just nice. freaking amazing nice, i'd have to go back and pay attention it's like the jungle and it's the the it's so desperate yeah you, you're you're yeah. you're out there so if you closed your eyes and listen to that you can tell that they're in the jungle mm-hmm. oh totally because yeah and uh the again that score really helps ramp ramp up the tension because that that almost plays like a science fiction kind of horror movie mm-hmm. where one really powerful force is hunting down a set number of people and it just seems like it can't ever be stopped but uh it's yeah like for me that's that's really really good i also like and i've got this on uh captain america winter soldier it's my favorite mm-hmm. marvel movie and also my favorite score and uh there is a piece on that called taking a stand and it's aptly named like whenever i listen to that uh sometimes i listen to it when i'm working out whenever i listen to that i want to hold up a captain america shield (laughs) (laughs) that's sick man because it's just like yes is is that play when he's giving his speech or or when is when is that one no it it plays at the end credits right before the first stinger okay yeah so it's like right at the end and they're going through the like the sort of animated um i got uh, you the title yeah the yeah, the, and the minimalist animated versions of who's in the movie. So they have like, yeah, they animate kind of like it's the it's like a shadow of of Chris Evans, Captain mm, America, yeah. and his symbol, starting Chris Evans, and then they go through the, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they go through the cast. I see. Yeah, uh, that way. And uh, to me, like it's just it's Captain America in music form. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that speaking of of Captain America, the I wasn't a, the biggest fan of the first movie, like the first Avenger, like Captain America. The um, first Avenger, yeah, it's all right. But I thought the music was great, and that I think a lot of those themes do come through. Um, a lot of, at least the the instrumental motifs and just the instrument choices, like just that lone. I think it's a trumpet or a cornet, some, some kind of nice, uh, just this kind of friendly sounding heroic little melody that yeah. comes in. I, I, I really liked what they established for that in, it does have that military sort of feeling. I think the score for that was really nice. Um, 
if if I was to answer that that question, I I have a few. Uh, t- <laughs> I, I today, I am is. I that- just want to quickly before oh, yeah? you go, go into it, sorry, but I just want to quickly mention because I'm such a huge Trent Reznor fan, and I did a podcast on mm, him. Okay, um, just talking about his stuff. His soundtrack for the Social Network and Gone Girl and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo are um, all excellent. And he did Lost Highway and uh, Natural Born Killers as well in the nineties. Um, he he did he this won an Oscar him, actually himself. Like this is the Nine Inch Nails yeah. dude. He just film scored. Yeah, Trent Reznor. Yeah, he did he did himself. Damn. In fact, he won an Oscar for Social Network. Um, wow. And those are like excellent scores. Like. He, to me, he's like just Mr. Jack of all trades artist. He could do almost anything and I would probably like it. Mm-hmm. And he's released an instrumental, uh, it's called ghosts one to four and then eventually five and six where it's just nothing but instrumentals. And he plays, you're talking about beer McCreary and he's similar. He played some obscene number of instruments on these, uh, instrumental okay. albums, like something like a few hundred or something ridiculous. And he doesn't play drums, but he got people to come in and play them and they would build drum kits out of like cookie sheets and okay, stuff well, wrapped in chains and, and garbage bins and just like really cool stuff. And so I just thought I'd mention that because I love him so much. <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's great. Uh, I didn't know that he was in doing he did film scores like you say he's mm-hmm. a, he, I just know that he has the superior version of Hurt. <laughs> as yeah i would i would agree with that a lot of people think johnny cash is no better, no it's I, actually I, a it's no, actually a, a, lo, a small minded opinion <laughs> to not be too um to be too <laughs> wow, harsh okay <laughs> but, but it actually is i don't know if i go that far but yes i i would agree with that uh yeah he did um uh so he's also doing the uh soundtrack the score for the upcoming disney pixar movie soul oh oh i, I don't even yep. know if i've heard of that one yeah, it was supposed to be released in the summer, but then the world went to hell. So, you know. Yeah, movies now are just a thing of the past. <laughs> Cineplex just. Well, they're just all digitally released now. But if slash when they read, they're saving it because they, it's their new big. It's the from the people who did Inside Out and Up, like okay. that kind of creative team. So I'm actually kind of really looking forward to it. And especially, say, I would go see it just for the score. Because <laughs> mm, Trent, Trent yeah. but yeah at any rate uh i was uh, to get back to your to your uh point you're going to mention some uh scores that you really love oh well i have one i, I want to i could talk a lot about many but there's one today that uh, hopefully we can we can remain friends after i drop this opinion on you but uh <laughs> um today marks the 16th anniversary of sam raimi's spider-man 2 um okay and i am about as big a fan of that trilogy. Yes. Trilogy um, of films, the Raimi Spider-Mans. I love them deeply on, on a soul level. And th- those, uh, those scores are done by Danny Elfman um, of nightmare before. You know, Christmas. hold on uh, on that thought. Danny Elfman. That's who did the score for army of darkness and the Simpsons. It wasn't Sylvester. It was Danny. Elfman. Mm. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, he's a, so, a sorry. Legend. Keep going. But yeah, that, that's, yes those i think that was like if you recall the the first time i think we saw the marvel you know that opening the marvel with the comic pages turning that that cinematic that got shown i think for the first time in 
the first Raimi Spider-Man in like 2001. Um, and there's this dramatic theme that builds off of that. And I, I, that actually changed my life listening to that. I was got so really? excited just, just by listening to that in the theater. Um, it's this super dramatic s- string session. It's like this, and then there's like the drums that come in and it's so, it's so, it stirs you and it's like you're about to see something absolutely unreal and the theme there is music and motifs and themes for characters in that trilogy that goes all throughout all of them you hear that throughout all three <laughs> movies and the second one i think i bring that up because it, it i would say leaving nostalgic um biases aside that one is i'd say stands actually as a very strong film not just as like a kind of a comic fanboy sort of thing where mm-hmm. where or I, I agree or as you know the, the people a lot of people have a lot of complaints about the third one um i won't get into that into the weeds with that but the, that's too much studio interference y- really is what yeah oh, exactly that. yeah exactly but um no i do think that he th- those are a really special s- series of movies and the the second one it's this anniversary of it today so i want to to bring that up it, it has a oh wow it has a licensed soundtrack um and if you remember there's the the classic uh, raindrops keep falling on my head oh um, yeah it gets used in that and th- there's like this great freeze frame that happens in that movie it's it's just like Raimi's directing style is i think very much out of like a classic sort of 80s appreciation oh, yeah. of and horror background of course t- as well and you see that a lot in even in um Spider-Man 2, there's the scene where uh, Dr. Octopus is on the operating table. Do you remember that scene where yes. his arms yeah, come alive and the, it's like straight out of the Evil Dead or some... Oh, yeah. Rain, yeah. Rain movie, I'm that, that scene. well aware. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I love that, that so much. Um, so that one, I, I have a, a strong love for that that movie, Spider-Man 2. And the score of the, the all three of those, actually and yeah no agreed and you know uh another comparison too um green goblin channels a little bit of dark man i don't know if you've ever seen dark man but i haven't it's a sam raimi is is that another one by him yeah yeah it's a sam raimi film uh so he channels a little bit in terms of not being able to contain his anger type deal Mm. so i think they wrote that a little bit uh, with that in mind at least looking back on it anyway but yeah like i'd agree with you i mean the third one notwithstanding like i said too much duty interference but i remember the scores being really good for those and alfred molina was like That's really right. good as doc Ock and set in spider-man too so i maintain that the best version of spider-man is into the spider-verse i don't know yeah if you've seen it. yeah I did, I did see that of, co- of course is brilliant um visual and super creative adaptation but it's like, I don't know. I I think that's a perfectly fine opinion, and I would respect it. I think on like a on a creative level, I would and like a animation level, and sort of letting the the characters kind of fly free with with no kind of politics involved. Yeah, that's that one was a really really nice yeah. one. I just think they really got the character right, like spider-man who spider-man is and why he does what he does mm-hmm. and like 
get, getting knocked down and always getting back up like that kind of like they really nailed it i think and miles morales glo- growing into spider-man by the end of the film it's just his arc is just like excellent the new totally, yeah. like uh homecoming and far from home like i could take to be honest and it's probably a bit of an unpopular opinion but i could take him or leave him no, they're no, okay. Same man. I I would I would say that Infinity War is the best um, Sp- Spider Man that uh, MCU Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, mm-hmm. that that's what yeah, I yeah. Like the movies aren't that great. They're just not. Yeah, I can I can appreciate what they did with Tom Holland's character in Infinity War deeply, and in fact, that was mm-hmm. like the perfect use of him. They they were trying to make it like iron man light where it's the the new i know that's what i don't like about it the new thing when when you think about you know the history of the comics it's actually like it should have been the other way around it's like spider-man's head is the one that's on the marvel logo on all the comics you know he is he's really the poster child um and then it's iron man that's that's like i guess definitely a mighty hero but uh, it's not uh yeah in terms of one of the things that like a lot of the movies get like they sort of gloss over is actually how like intelligent Peter Parker is. Mm-hmm. They kind of gloss over that a lot. The mid nineties uh, Spider-Man, the animated series really goes into um, a lot of depth about how actually pretty much he's a genius. Yeah. And also the video game too, that came out on PlayStation four that I played through uh, the story. Right, in that right. is really well written. Cool. And the, uh, they really do go into like how smart he is in that too. Yeah, yeah, Which I, really uh, I would. Yeah, that there's really. I mean, I could we could do a whole episode about <laughs> Spider-Man adaptation. Spider-Man, I know. Yeah, I, I'm a huge Spidey uh, fan. But uh, the uh, the yeah. one other movie, the one other movie I would mention um, before we wrap up here, I would say mm-hmm. would be number one, just like my my favorite score of all time would probably be Harry Potter, like John Williams's Harry Potter. Uh, okay. what he what he has to offer with the first two especially because um, he only did the first three movies uh, and then he stepped off the the, pro- the okay. project but those those I find are it encapsulates the sort of wonder and golden age not only cinema but also influences from classical music um, especially Wagner uh, these big epic tapestries with all these interwoven interwoven parts and references and and very many motifs w- with just the feelings of f- friendship and also fear and also yeah. t- like terror but also joy you know there's so much range in in that first movie there's like some of the happiest themes but also you just think about the that melody for the the main theme. My God, what a melody! That that song yes. is like if you if you listen to that, it's so strange and not conventional at all. You know, humming that kind of thing, but yet everyone knows it, and it it really got. It's a really amazing thing to do to write a really dissonant and um, questioning in tonality sort of melody like that and have it be a have it gel and have it stick in everyone's ears because it's like Mm -hmm. it's not conventional that thing you know it's not something that you would just hum Um, and in fact it's quite difficult i've had i've had students uh, guitar students that want to learn that and then it's i'll usually 
you know, transcribe out the parts by ear. And that one's one that it's tricky. It's not one that you would just, oh, you know, hum it in, in your ear. It's like, you got to get that thing right. And there's lots of little subtle things about that melody that um, don't sound right until you figure out exactly what's going on. And th- there's just so much range, like I said, emotionally and uh, texturally in, in those in those scores. I would say that that one's really, really a good one. That's a good choice. You know, I've only ever seen the first three, I think. Oh. I was never really big into the franchise myself. Like, I think I was born too early for it. <laughs> um, right. But uh, even though I do know a lot of folk, like adults my age who are really, really into it, but I, I don't know. I just never really got into it. But even I know that theme. And it's funny that you said the word wonder because uh, this is the first word that popped into my head when you're like a sense of, and I'm like, wonder of course right into my brain no and um yeah it almost seems like you have to do something different to stick out and and like a lot of movies a lot of films these days like the score like it does well it adds to it in a lot of ways you'd be hard pressed to, to remember like a main theme from it or anything like you look back in the 80s and you have back to the future and you got temple of doom and you got predator and you got robocop and you mm. got do you know what I mean? There's like so much and like into the early nineties, you got like Jurassic park and stuff like yeah. that. And nowadays it seems there's one or two here or there, but for the most part, there's a lot of stuff where it's, it doesn't stick with you like it used to. I think in the eighties, it was almost like, let's, let's get a hook. Let's like mm-hmm. really get a hook in there and then it'll be in your head. Whereas now it's more, they're thinking more about, um, it, it more is, is an artistic form than <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe then then let's just get it in somebody's head as an earworm which is it's kind of an interesting evolution i think yeah there's this channel sideways um i think that's his name he's a youtube guy he t- talks a lot about um film score as well as sort of the the theory behind it um but he, he kind of has like a a friendly and and youthful energy at which he talks about this kind of stuff. It's not like he buries it in heavy terminology. He's actually quite funny, mm-hmm. and he he talks a lot about that subject. And it's a it's a sad thing, you know. I I am I was around when there were th- movie themes that you know it's like that was a genre like you would buy like a book that was like oh the best movie themes it's like if you bought a book from 2015 onwards like best movie themes like what would even be in there like i can't even name one i mean i can think of the avengers that's it yeah and for like i know i I know captain america because i'm such a fan like i've seen the winter soldier probably 20 plus times so i mean i love that movie too yeah i saw that a few times in theaters Yep. And yeah, I remember, of course, like, I mean, well, it came before 2015, like Inception, but I saw that, I think, three or four times in, in theaters as well. But um, it's, yeah, it's one of those, like, the ones that I think about that are, um, that are resonating gets kind of stuck with people now, more kind of like the musicals, like Frozen, for example. Mm, yeah, that's, like Frozen that's true. was just, it, yeah, it's just, but it's like, it's less score and more the original songs that yeah, it's like, like let it go and mm-hmm. yeah. Love is an open door and stuff like that. Like people just, because those are so good and that's always, that's always been the thing with, with Disney, but I feel like, uh, that'd be like kind of the ones now, whereas like more of them are 
And part of it is is in studio interference. Uh, I think uh, I'm not sure if it's that channel or something else where they talk about how they the studio comes in and says, "Okay, put this music in here." Like, and the scene that they use to talk about that is when Captain America in the Winter Soldier is in the museum, yeah, and they play uh, sort of his trumpety theme from yeah. First Avenger there, and right. they showed that. it actually without the music, and they said, and like basically it was just like far more effective than like blaring this this music in there and i i get the impression it wasn't the composer's decision <laughs> well, so yeah. it's it, yeah it's it's just it's it's an interesting kind of thing and yeah i mean yeah i don't know i mean there's a lot of uh composers doing like a lot of good work for film and tv like uh mentioned quickly i just finished rewatching the americans again and the mm. The way like the score for that show was done really, really well. Like you knew you were in the eighties, but also anytime that they were sneaking around and, uh, you know, trying to pull off something like, or like plant a bug or something like that. And you're like, the music makes it feel like, like they're almost about to get caught and then they don't, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. I'm just... It's like where are the Mission Impossibles though? Like where, like where, that level of yeah. iconic where it's like you just know instantly, and it's hummable and I don't know. It's it's a different sort of direction. I I would use I I think that that guy that I mentioned uh, talks about. I I guess I it's not as to, as uh, topical the reference to Harry Potter, but the first three the the music that you experienced is like the best of it then from okay. from like four to seven um mm-hmm. there's like a dramatic shift like there's the subject matter gets a lot darker at, at the same time but it's there's no mm-hmm. there are some of the themes from the originals revisited but it's a lot of just like action strings you know you know like that feeling where it's yeah, just and that's just saying. cookie cutter you know they, they just put that in any movie it's, it's not yeah uh, it's copying a lot of them are copy and paste and sure it works you know it works for these you know battle scenes and it gets it serves its purpose but it's not something that you go home and think well i'm gonna buy that soundtrack or i want to get that soundtrack on vinyl like mm. the, yeah. things like that like that that's the kind of there's only an elite you know an elite club of movie scores that you would add to your vinyl collection you know it's like you wouldn't even think it's like certain ones you just would be like yes like i need to get this one uh, in the best way possible but uh yeah it's that's we've we've delved quite deep into this there's lots of, <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. lots to talk about and i like that we found some common ground in the horror genre i'd like to to talk yeah. more about that too i i quite like myself some of that genre too especially the more classic stuff where it's actually kind of creative and not just shock value i guess it's creative yeah, shock value like not just of... grotesque for the sake of it yeah, like the hostels and, and stuff like that, where mm. it's just gross for the sake of gross. Yeah. My, yeah mind uh, you, I though, uh, have you seen the Saw movies? Yeah, yeah. Th- those have a good score. Those have some pretty good music, man. Those are yeah, yeah. And the first, again, it's one of those where the franchise get, just got out of control. Yeah. I think there's like six or seven of them mm-hmm. or something like that. First couple are okay. Yeah, the, the um, stories are pretty cool. 
Yeah, yeah. I remember the score being pretty decent in those two. It's been a while since I've watched any of them, but uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, on that note, I think, I, like you said, I think we've delved pretty deep in this topic, and uh, I think we've 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 covered a lot. I think we could just keep going for hours and hours. Yeah, and, uh, maybe we'll. <clears throat> revisit the topic again some other time and uh or uh just do like a deep dive on spider-man or something (laughs) totally man yeah i'd be in yeah so um with that with all that said thanks for joining us this week of course please like comment subscribe if you're able rate the podcast wherever you listen or if there's something you really want to talk about email me at conferculture at gmail.com that's c-o-n-f-e-r-c-u-l-t-u-r-e at gmail.com until next time, I'm Chris. I'm Don. And this has been Confer Culture.